1: We give you a new perspective on events happening in our world today. This is GNN.
0: This is God Network News, Episode 72. episode of God Network News, I had the privilege of recording a message by Dr. Ralph Winter just before he passed away and went to be with the Lord, where he was describing his view on how missions today needs to take on more of a Pauline approach to missions with unreached peoples particularly, which as he goes on to explain, relates to understanding the the worldview and culture of the people and doing church planting in a way that we wouldn't maybe do here in the United States or in Europe or other places, but um, where it would make sense and it would be relevant to the people and to their lifestyle and their culture and their identity wherever they find themselves. And so he spoke about this at a gathering there at the U.S. Center for World Mission, which today is known as Frontier Ventures, if you want to look it up on the internet. A little bit about um, Ralph Winter. He was born in 1924 and he passed away in 2009. He was an American missiologist and Presbyterian missionary. Who helped pioneer theological education by extension, which we all know about now, everybody knows about it, Uh, raised the debate about the role of the church and mission structures, and became well known as the advocate for pioneer outreach among unreached people groups. In fact, probably it would be accurate to say that he popularized the whole concept of unreached peoples and sparked a movement amongst the body of Christ worldwide to focus on reaching those who've never heard of Jesus before, the hidden peoples or the unreached peoples as he called them. He was the founder of the U.S. Center for World Mission and William Carey International University, which is my alma mater, one of them anyway, and the International Society for Frontier Missiology, which is a missiological periodical that you can subscribe to. His 1974 presentation at the Congress for World Evangelization in Lausanne, Switzerland, an event organized by American evangelist Billy Graham. Billy was trying to bring together all of the mission agencies and church leaders and denominational leaders to focus on reaching the unreached peoples, the final peoples, to to be reached with the gospel. So this was a watershed moment for global missions, and Ralph Winter was one of the keynote speakers there, and that is where he challenged the whole body of Christ to focus on those who've never heard of Jesus before. He revealed the facts that uh, most of our mission work was going to where the gospel had already been for many generations, and that we needed to do like Paul did where he preached the gospel where Christ was not known in order to see the gospel spread over the whole world to all peoples. It was during this presentation that Ralph shifted global mission strategy from a focus on political boundaries, in other words, uh, United Nations-type nations, right, countries, to a focus on distinct people groups. Winter argued that instead of targeting countries Mission agencies needed to target the thousands of people groups worldwide, over half of which have not been reached with the gospel message. That was at that time. We were telling folks, which was true that half the world had not heard. Today, it's somewhere between 24 and 29%, so there has been significant progress that has been made since he challenged the body of Christ with this message. Billy Graham once wrote, Ralph Winter has not only helped promote evangelism among many mission boards around the world, but by his research, training, and publishing He has accelerated world evangelization. That's what Billy Graham said. In 2005, Winter was named by Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. Dr. Ray Talman, shortly after Winter's death, described him as, quote, Perhaps the most influential person in missions of the last 50 years and has influenced missions globally more than anyone I can think of. And I would say that it's very true. My wife and I would not be here if it wasn't for Ralph Winter, and for his obedience to step out and challenge the body of Christ, to challenge mission agencies who had a completely different focus, who were in a way relaxed in their tradition. And he woke them up. He woke up the body of Christ that there were so many who would never heard of Jesus even once. That quote came forth from his mission work that why should anyone hear the gospel many, many times when there are so many who have not even heard it once. And that challenge went forth to the body of Christ for many years now, for several decades now, and has seen an acceleration of world evangelization and and really some tremendous breakthroughs, which we've already talked about, and we'll talk about more in future God Network News episodes.
1: The greatest single breakthrough in all of Indonesia took place in in uh, Sumatra. If, you'd, if your map had shown a little bit further north, you would have run into a, a large Christian bastion, where the missionaries made a great, terrible mistake they they gave in to the local uh, mosaic code <clears throat> and allowed the people to follow their own moses their own mosaic code which was called the adat now that word adat is uh, batak but it, they're parallels to it in all these different groups they have an original cultural tradition which carries moral force and they don't say that God wrote it down on Mount Sinai but but they do believe that it's it's really ethically and morally uh, weighty and the missionaries uh, in this particular situation n- nowhere else in, in uh, Indonesia in as spectacular a sense uh, gave in to that and said you can keep your adat but you need to study the bible you need to understand who jesus christ is and sort of like in the new testament the greeks you know they they didn't mind the mosaic law but they didn't follow it in detail uh, they uh, they had their own adat their own cultural tradition and and uh, the christian faith as we call it on, who are on this side of the line uh... got across that barrier over into the hellenistic world and uh... developed uh, very strongly well in this case in sumatra thousands hundreds of thousands of people became christian overnight now you know that isn't possible but what happened was that the missionaries drove a hard bargain uh... there was an original falling out the people said okay if we can't become Christian, we'll become Muslim, and that's the point where the missionaries that made the mistake. And I'm just joking. I don't think it was a mistake. It was a brilliant strategy that they were pushed into. Instead of uh, calling it a mistake, they allowed these people to retain their adat <clears throat> and become Bible-studying, uh, Christ-following people. And this is probably one of the showcase of all mission history breakthroughs in Sumatra and and I would think that um, uh, groups today who are considering pursuing further the work in Sumatra would um, take into account uh, what has already happened. The question that rises in both the Uyghur case and the Qumran case and in all the rest of Sumatra case is whether Islam is to be replaced or renewed. Now, up in China, you have an additional factor. You have the same dynamics that you had in Korea when for 50 years the Japanese ruled Korea. Well, at the time they were ruling Korea, there just seemed to me no possibility of ever throwing the Japanese out, and all the Koreans learned to speak Japanese. Anybody my age in Korea can speak Japanese like a fluent native. But there came a time when the hated oppressors were thrown out and if there had not been an antagonistic religious tradition that served to galvanize the antagonistic forces together probably that uh, hurling out process would not have occurred so soon but christianity was the uniting force that allowed the koreans to unite around an antagonistic faith to the to the Japanese. Now at right now in Uyghur land, if the people there or whoever they are that perceive Christianity to be Chinese it's not going to be acceptable. But it isn't Chinese, it's antagonistic to the Chinese and so long as Christianity is not acceptable officially in China it will have an audience in Uyghur land. There's no question about that because it uh, gives unity to the antagonistic forces. But now, boy, that's a pretty hopeless situation if half of all the people are Han Chinese, right? Very similar to the CIS in all those areas where, like in Dagestan and Kazakhstan and many of these places, one of the strong groups there, maybe not the majority, but a very strong minority, the strongest minority are the ethnic Russians. And Christianity has a great handicap so long as it identifies itself with those ethnic Russians. So there's a lot of very, of uh, not, uh, factors that do not meet the eye in this situation. And uh, I, I would like to believe that in both the Hindu tradition and in the Muslim tradition, our center could make a contribution in what I would call the second front. Now that doesn't mean much to most of you younger people, but the Second Front was what turned the tide in the Second World War. It wasn't until the the German um, forces had to fight on two fronts, the Eastern and the Western Front, that they were conquered. And in a certain sense, I believe all over the world, the the frontal attack of Christianity, implanting Christian culture instead of Uyghur culture, uh, Qumran culture, or even Islamic culture, that frontal assault has not succeeded very well. Talk about winning the world by the year 2000, we could go to the the year 20,000 at the rate we're going and not have done what we want to see happen in either the Hindu or the Muslim world. I would say that the uh, frontal attack upon the mainstream of India is a virtually absolutely stalemated attack. I mean, statistically speaking, it is virtually nonexistent. The Christians in India are an antagonistic breed to the mainstream Hindus of India. And um, we need to take these factors into account. I don't know whether just sending more missionaries over of the kind we've been sending. It's not a bad thing to do. There will always, I was thinking in the Uyghur area, there will probably be four or five different kinds of Christianity in the long run. Some will be called Christianity, some will not. Um, But um, if we only know one approach and we can't make a second front, it seems to me we've got a big problem because in the New Testament, we see the second front clear as a bell the jewish people had for centuries been evangelizing in the roman empire peter said in acts that in every city of the roman empire moses is preached the mosaic adat and there were thousands hundreds of thousands of believers who were attracted to that faith some scholars say that half of all the jews in the roman empire were proselytes, they were not ethnic Jews. I don't think that's true. I think the, the, the reason they come to that conclusion is they underestimate what biological growth would produce. And, then, and many of these authors who don't know anything about compound interest rates uh, just assume that you couldn't possibly have that many Jews without in, incredible amounts of proselytization. And it may be true, but it isn't necessarily true. In any event, the faith that won rome was not the jewish faith or i should say it was the jewish faith but it did not come in jewish clothing it uh... it was a second front that won the day uh a front that i was approaching them on the wavelength of their own culture it was biculturals uh what do you call it, uh, expatriates, or let's say cross-cultural missionaries, but bicultural missionaries who did the job. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, etc. And um, so we have a a lot to pray about as we think about these vast areas. The rate we're going, we're never going to go anywhere by the year 2000 unless we can employ a radically more biblical, more Pauline approach. And so I just throw that out for prayer. Obviously, uh, it isn't something that's perfectly obvious, but it's something that we do need to think about and pray about.